Hi ho, everybody. This is Chad Gurley, host of the podcast Right Now at the Writer's Colony, the podcast that you're listening to at this very moment. Coming to you from the Writer's Colony at Dairy Hollow, located in the historic arts village of Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Every week, I have a chance to speak with some of our writers and residents and alumni, and it is fascinating, always. So, let's see who we can get on the line today. This call is being recorded. Cynthia Sample? Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. I've never used this before. Yeah, you know, I, the Zoom thing is that it's kind of, well, first off, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> the, um, the Zoom, I, I, I have yet to figure out how to just do the audio, just record the audio from it and not the video. And so oh. I do it this way. That way it's, it's more podcast friendly. So, um, okay. so welcome. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> well, you. Glad to talk to you at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and you don't want to see me right now anyway. I need a haircut, something bad. So, um, oh, we are. We are. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, how are things there before we get started, like with uh, with the COVID pandemic um, and everything? Texas has, has been pretty challenged. Um, however, I think that people have sort of embrace some of the you know health things that that'll help as far as masks and yeah. I mean there's some every place and kids going around doing things and and the schools are sort of partially opened I mean it's certainly not like Washington State where everybody's you know doing remote learning and everything right. but um, it's some remote learning here it, I think I think it's moving in the right direction i would say yeah um but you know you still have some people that think that you know it's it's really not real and and that we really don't have a problem and blah 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 but we've had some pretty scary numbers it's it's got it's backed off some but still it's you know it's still at, at issue and some of us have some i mean i technically am at risk so i've i've been pretty much in prison for six months but uh, yeah. um you know, I'm I'm really just fine. You know, okay. so everybody's there's a lot of anxiety floating around in the air, though. I mean, there's some depression and some things like that in the therapeutic community. I think my daughter's a therapist, so um, there's some of that. But oh, you know, I know it, emotionally, it is just really. I mean, I suffer from depression, and this has been a real challenge for me in a lot of ways. You know, just right. being able to see my family for a long time, and um, yeah, and you know, I went to a restaurant for the first time this week, and then I left. And then this um, this morning, the CDC says that people who test positive are twice as more likely to have been to a restaurant. And I'm like, great. I got <laughs> you. That's so, so not exciting. That's terrible. I know. Uh, I know. But well, uh, and, and honestly, you know, there's a point at which you do have to, there's some of your life you've got to reclaim. And I don't, I do think it's best to be prudent, but, and certainly I haven't been to any restaurants, but, you know, their restaurants here are, I wouldn't say okay, but they're, 
you know, they're making, they're, they're, they're surviving a lot of them. So, um, yeah, I'm sure up there, it might, I don't know whether it's better or worse up there in a smaller town, but, um, well, we've got, no. I mean, we've got a lot of tourists coming in, so um, because probably because people don't want to travel that far. And so, you know, this Eureka Springs is a perfect place to kind of come and enjoy. Um, but, you know, at the same time, it's kind of it also creates that anxiety. Right. Because you have all these people coming in from everywhere and they're like, well, so. that's exactly right. Now, are you is Dairy Hollow open? Yes, we are open. So we have strict COVID-19 protocols to keep our riders safe. So it's a great place uh, to come and socially isolate and create. So that's good. Um, and the riders that have come have been so respectful of wearing masks and keeping social distance. So um, so we feel pretty fortunate in that respect. Okay. Uh, are you all going into the office? Or are you working from home? Yeah, we're going into the office um, and wearing masks, and um, so that's that's what we're doing right now. But um, well, probably at setup, it's probably probably good. Is Jana still cooking for everybody, or? Yeah, so she is cooking meals, and you could either have it in the you know, great room, socially distanced from one another. Or you can have it take, or, or she'll bring it directly to your room if you just want to stay in your room and not get out at all, you know, as far as uh, being right. with others. So, well, y'all are still, you know, in operation. I, I thought about trying to go up there and then I just, my kids would have just hit the ceiling if I'd done that. So. <laughs> right. now, so, there's so much more worried than they need to. About me and I mean because honestly I, I have been you know had controlled blood pressure many many decades I was their age but it just yeah. run so we do have to kind of at least nod in that direction but anyway uh, well I'm uh, y'all are okay and that yeah are I'm glad you're good too so for listeners that don't know you tell us Tell us about you, Cynthia. Well, let's see. Um, well, I'm a Texas girl. I've lived in Dallas for, you know, all my life except for college. And then I spent 20 years at a small town in El Dorado, Arkansas, way south Arkansas, with my late husband. And um, I write hyper short fiction, although I write a lot of other stuff too, just in various forms and have over the years I've written. And um, my book that I've just sold and am polishing up and will come out in 2000, early 2022 is called Forms of Defiance. And it's a, it's a compendium of collection of hyper short fiction. Okay. And uh, so, I mean, it's, very short fiction, and um, but my twist on all that, I love, I love the whole idea of challenging the way stories are told, and a lot of people that are out there working on this type of story, very very short uh, fiction, what what might be called flash fiction, um, are very interested in you know genre bending which I'm also very interested in, but I, I love a story that 
is all about the human experience from one aspect or another mm-hmm. and in one way or another. And so this is a collection of stories that are a lot of different points of view, a lot of different types of people from a lot of different walks of life facing a lot of challenges. But in some ways, all the challenges are, you know, have at their root some contradiction or paradox. And then, so I, that's what that's what that book's about. It's called Forms of Defiance. Forms of Defiance. And it's, uh, so it's basically kind of a book of a collection of your short story, of some of your short stories, or does it have an overarching, did you write, the short story, short fiction, with that um, overarching theme in mind? Well, I started writing flash fiction way before I thought of the collection. Um, and I, when I look back over my very early work, I recently moved and looked back over some old stuff. And I'll tell you, I was experimenting with some of this way when I started writing, as well as, as getting very, very, very serious about it in you know the past five years or so but uh there isn't you know once i put the group together i realized that the there is kind of an overarching over some overarching uh, themes and one of them is that people talk to themselves a lot of different ways and in a lot of different forms and they talk about their challenges or their defiances you know in a, just a, so many different literary forms and literary ways, and but pretty much everybody, you know, is looking for love, and they're, you know, they lose, they lose that process of looking somehow, and and then they make a choice, and so there's even the table of contents is a type of story because. You know, it is, and it is that story, looking for love and, you know, losing it somehow or being challenged to lose it and then making a choice about what, what they're going to do with that and, and what they're going to do with their life. So, um, so where does the I, defiance come in? Human, kind of a human condition. Oh, yeah. So where does the defiance come into that, play into that? Well, um, because in talking to themselves, they're, they're defying the way or in defiance of the way stories are told, you know, traditionally oh. and, and straightforward academic circles or literature. One one aspect of that is that, or one example of that would be family mismaking. You know, every child makes up a story about their world to explain the things that don't make sense to them or yeah. that are difficult to comprehend. And it's called it's a psychological process called magical thinking. And but it's a, a type of myth that they make up and they live with that myth their whole life. So that's mm-hmm. one they defy the normal way uh, stories are told. Although in one sense, you know, there there have existed this type of myth, you know, since all of literature was even created or had its exception. So right. you have 
you know, you're 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 doing it that way. You're, you know, making up a playlist to give to your girlfriend and you're, you know, telling yourself the story of that relationship. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Your children and and you're telling yourself a story of your own own journey as a parent. And so, you know, we do this all the time. We do it continuously. And but we're defying the traditional way or the previous way that we thought about our lives. Mm -hmm. So in in that way, we're always challenging our history and our definition of that history and the the story that we have carried around in our head. Um, So that's, which totally may help that that is totally what affects the way in which we view reality, right? Our stories and the stories that we've had that we've made up in our head that we carry with us it really um, provides a lens through which we actually live reality, would you say? Absolutely. And through that lens, we view everything and we live our lives that way. I mean, uh, I, I'll just quote for you one of the stories in the book, and that is all fiction is memoir and all memoir is fiction. Mm-hmm. It, um, our perception is, you know, is a changeable thing over our lifetime. And that's one of the reasons that when I wrote this book of stories, I was so interested in writing with you of someone old and someone dying and someone facing death and another person that was a child and another person that wanted to escape their family and so I, I you know we it's a, an ever-changing ever-changing lens yeah you know one, one of the things I wrote in my thesis at Vermont College was uh this statement, and that is this, that all theology is a window, um, but story is the lens through which we see. So uh, that's how we negotiate our lives. That's how we live. So the lens of reality through the window of of theology? Of your beliefs. Of what right. you believe. Right. Yeah. So and, and you should, I mean, talk a little bit about, because you you are a spiritual person. Um, how, how, how does that, I mean, and if you grow up in church, it's kind of ingrained in you from the very beginning, right? And so um, how does that play into story and meaning making um, for well, your characters have a container you know the great um, current contemplative is a a priest in New Mexico and his name is Richard Rohr and he talks about how the first our life is a is a container and the second part of our life we're we're letting the container go and or that's kind of a paraphrase but the, the container is part of the container not all of the container but part of the container of our life that we you know, develop in the first part of our life is a set of beliefs or ideas about 
you know, what reality is, what God is, what morality is, and 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 we develop those things, and then the then we live life through through. Um, I'm sorry, that was. Um, and we live our life based on that. And um, the. So that set of ideas is a set of mental ideas that may or may not be uh, the full dimension of our soul or our spirit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, in the second parts of our lives, and, and certainly many writers, I think, start this process pretty much younger, but because they're always trying to deal with the human condition in this real broad way. But um, the you know we we shed beliefs as our soul expands, or we tweak those beliefs, or we change those beliefs, or we let go of those beliefs, or those ideas when they get challenged. And we run up against different experiences and uh, different things that require us to, you know, ask us just what exactly, you know, is love anyway, and what exactly, and who exactly is God if there is a God. So, um, I don't know. I, I've, I've just come to feel in my later years that um, everything is secular and everything is spiritual. Yeah. And there's such an intertwining of those two things that when you write a true character that's a true, well-fleshed, rounded character, you know, there's going to be a spiritual aspect to that character. And we see this throughout literature. We see it in these hyper short stories like I'm interested in, in doing right now, technically. But we also see it in many of the, if, if not all, the great works of literature that have stood the test of time all the way back to, you know, Homer and those yeah. guys. Yeah. We start in, um, you know, the, the early wrong that exist for us and the early, um, the very earliest novels we see, see it. I mean, Don Quixote was, you know, a person who, even though he was, you know, a little nutso, was, you know, had a, a drive and a motivation of great love. Mm. So you, so you see these, you know, um, and an idea, also, John, a great an idea of great moral the moral demands of chivalry. What was, you know, considered moral thing. So I think that we see it everywhere. And flash fiction. I mean, the greatest flash fiction writer of all time was Jesus Christ himself. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, look at it. I mean, some of those stories, and many actually, many of them most of the United States population could quote them almost. Mm-hmm. But ordinarily short, but extremely robust in terms of characterization and theme and uh, plot and, and all that. So yeah. uh, I, I believe I could prove, although nobody's ever taken me up, I, I believe I could prove that the prodigal son is the 
the greatest story ever written. Um, and how short is that? So um, I, I think that, that in the same way that all things are spiritual, there's no spiritual story that is not rooted in this created world and mm -hmm. what's deeply secular or what most people call their secular experience. You know, the senses, human set of feelings and emotions and the plot of choice, you know, in a created world with people with, that are walking around on the actual ground. Yeah. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay, sorry. I thought I lost you for a second. Um, I want to ask you before, I mean, I'm going to ask you, I want to ask you about what, if you have a favorite, uh, a favorite story of yours in the book, is there a favorite or do you love them all? But before I do that, because we're talking about this, um, do you get the sense that right now there's a, there's this shifting of like, um, I, there's a part of me that feels like I'm living in a reality that is divorced from other people's reality. And so, um, and before I'd always kind of felt like we were kind of all, you know, on the same path or on the same uh, plane right. of truth or reality. But now I'm starting to think more about like, the, wow, there, I, I see reality in a very different way. And I think that that's what you're talking about with your characters too. Do you see that as, has that is that always existed or is this kind of a is that more of a shift now because of so much information sharing or what what do you think on that that is a fabulous question and um it's a fabulous question and a and a very astute insight on your part um well i think because of the pace of information, the information flow from uh, the media and in our daily interaction with the media, Facebook, the TV, on and on and on. We've had this very rapid um, and almost blinking, almost like a strobe light of stimulus in our daily existence. And I think some people would argue that this has created such a self-referential aspect of our consciousness has been sort of blown up to be, I mean, blown up in the sense of being made a greater portion of the way that we're interacting with reality. Yeah. Um, one of the, and I, I think that's true, but one of the aspects of the pandemic that I think is extraordinarily important is that some of that has been brought to this very abrupt halt. On the one hand, we're interacting with screens and ordering online instead of going to the grocery store and all these things that are uh, much more uh, physically alone. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, that even with that, there's a lot of time when we are 
forced to be in our own skin and live in our own skin. And so our awareness is, you know, forced inward. Yeah. And I, I do think probably people are reading more and doing more audio books and that type thing, or I certainly reading a lot more. Um, but is it changing our experience of reality? Well, it's probably just decreasing our intertwined moment because we're at home all the time. Uh, yeah. But we are, our interaction with others is heavily controlled by the ways in which we can do so in a safety, safe way relative to health type issues. So I do think this is going to be, end up being a paradigm about our... A what now? Um, I'm sorry. You broke up just a little bit. I said I do think that it's going to end up being a paradigm shift of some sort. I'm not sure how it's going to end up. Uh, but I think that the the great gift of the last six months has been to force us to be in our own perception of reality from a personal point of view in a way that is less influenced by interactions with other people. Yeah. And that's, I think, it's also changed, it may end up changing our capitalism and our economic life in such a way are um, more grateful and appreciative of those who are in different types of jobs than we thought were essential. And I think that's going to end up really a very significant thing. Um, or I hope so. You know, we need to be more grateful. Yeah. Well, it's an awakening of some sort, that's for sure. <laughs> I think that's exactly right. And... I personally don't want to lose my awareness that I've got the, my, my increased awareness. I, right, I like right. And I think things have gone, I think everything has slowed down substantially. Even though we're doing sc more screen time, even though we're doing more quote unquote entertainment, if we're lucky enough to be able to work at home, even with that, we are, everything has slowed down. And I think that's a very, very, very good thing. Yeah. But so, we'll see. I could, go ahead. But we will see. I could be wrong. Yeah, well, we'll see. That's true. We, just have to, we don't have a lot of control over it, do we? <laughs> In a lot of respects. But um, I, I think the awareness of what we can control and what we can't I think that's become heavily and highly attenuated during this period. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and I think that's going to be good for us. Yeah. Yeah. If we can come together. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Well, so back to, back to the book. Uh, do you have a favorite story or a favorite um, 
served that one really resonated with you or are are they um are they all your babies well like all your babies when would you even admit that you like one better than the other (laughs) (laughs) you can't say that and get away with it um i'll tell you there's one story in there the last piece that was um I feel like is, you know, maybe the, in one way, spoke to me most profoundly than any other. Um, And that is the the last story in the book. And the title of it is What what We Need to Know About Coffins. And uh, I, in some ways, that, that, that story was so, such a gift when I did it. It was something I'd been thinking about a long time. I mean, years. I had had that kind of floating in the back of my mind as an idea for a story for years. And when I was at Gary Hollow last winter, I was putting the book together and editing and polishing and adding some stuff uh, to go as the final, my final draft into the, to the publisher and my goal at the, for my retreat, my writing retreat at Gary Hollow was to do that. And at the very last minute after I'd done the whole rest of the book, I thought, you know, I'm just going to look at that again and I'm going to see what I'm... And I piddled with it. And by the time I finished it and added it into the book, it was just my favorite. As of now, it may be my favorite thing I've ever written. But I I think the reason for that is that it encompasses so much of my personal journey, but also my idea about what we can actually know about life and death. And so, what so did you I, know? This, I mean, when I wrote the line, the last line of it, I just knew it was the final story of the book, and I, I added it in really very impulsively, but. I'm just really not ashamed of that one. I'm really not. And, um, what is it about, Cynthia? It's very, very short. Sorry? What is it about? Well, I mean, you don't have to give it all away, but can you give us a... Uh, uh, what is it about? I'll tell you what the first line is, and that's maybe what I'll tell you, and then you can read it if you want. Okay. <laughs> okay. First is, the thing to know about coffins is that we always leave them. And um, that, that's what it's about. Wow. That sounds profound. I'm excited yeah, to I, read it. I really, I, I really, I was, when I finished that story, I was almost scared of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I well, will see I, if any, you know, if anybody. You, yeah, anytime you come face to face with your own mortality, I guess it, uh, yeah, it it could be uh, yeah eye opening. Um, yeah, good way to put it, eye opening. So, and the book is called. Tell, tell me again. Forms of defiance. Forms of defiance. And um, and people, if people want to find out more about you, they can visit cynthiasample.com. dot com. Um, no, that. Cynthia C. Sample. Oh, that's right. Cynthia C. Sample. I apologize. Cynthia C. Sample.com. Right. And after we finish our conversation, 
if you don't mind, I'm going to play uh, the reading that you did, our Thursday Poet Luck, back when you were here. Oh, good. Um, you read the prayer, prayer Diary of Doreen Newton, which is just right. a fantastic story. So the listeners hang on for after we finish this call so you can, um, so you can listen to the story because it's fantastic. Um, do you have any, you know, advice for new writers, uh, any um, guidance for them? Well, you know, I'll tell you, I, I was told when I began that the single most important thing I could do is read. And mm-hmm. um, I really believe that there is a very profoundly mysterious quality about writing. And mm-hmm. about the writing, and I, Margaret Atwood does this master class, and she says the only way to write is to actually write and and fail, write more, write better, fail more, fail better. And I, I think that there's a sense in which you just got to persevere with it. Yeah. Um, and I also believe that part of the mysterious process, part of it, of that part of your life, is following. The, the little instincts that you get that seem maybe odd or different or challenging. And um, I, I've done that. You know, when I started, I was interested in, you know, a biblical character and piddled with that for some years, just piddled with learning how to write a scene and learning how to Cut the adverb, ad, adjectives, and that kind of stuff. And I, and honest to God, I cut the adverb. And honest to God, I, I, you know, just sticking with that process and asking for help and going to this class or going to that workshop. And I will say one practice that I developed early on, um, besides daily writing, and I do think it's really useful to try to set yourself up with a writing practice. Mm-hmm. That's always um, and it changes, you know, sometimes I do writing exercises and sometimes I just sit there and sometimes I don't do an emotional, emotional vomit on the page. I mean, whatever it ends up looking like and it changes over time. But, you know, I, I really think it's helpful to give yourself um, a little retreat occasionally. And that that's how I started going to Dairy Hollow because you know, I would give myself a retreat away from my regular outward life mm-hmm. and family obligations, and I would give myself a space of several days a week. And now when I, when I go to Dairy Hollow, I try to stay a minimum of a week and, and hopefully two just to give myself that space in which to completely focus on listening for the inner voice that guides the actual words that end up on the page. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think that's a, a good thing to do for yourself and a self-loving and self-nurturing thing. And um, also gives the, you know, the great news in the sky a chance to talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it has been such a pleasure having you uh on the podcast today. And I want to personally apologize to you for not getting your podcast with Bud Henderson up um, back when we did it, when you were here. Um, 
However, I will say that I think I've gotten a little bit better at doing them, so I'm glad you're back. And, um, and I'm glad that we can, you know, promote your book. I'm, I'm anxious to, to well, read it. And uh, honestly, I, I, I truly think Derry Hall is a special place and a, a mystical place to, to work. And, uh, you know, we all get better at whatever our art form is, Chad. So kudos to you for continuing to get better at this. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Well, have a great rest of your day, and um, I look forward to seeing you at some point in the near future. I hope. The sooner, the better. Yeah. All right. Take care, Cynthia. Bye bye. You too. Bye bye. The Prayer Diary of Doreen Newton. Monday. Dear God. Pastor says we should build up our faith by writing out our prayers and their answers. I doubt it'll do much good. Mostly since Harry died, all the answers seem to be no. But that's what Pastor said, so here goes, God. First of all, the garage door has warped some more. You of all people, well, you're not a people, I don't guess, but anyway, you ought to know that I cannot afford a contractor, so I'm asking you right now. How do I fix my garage door for $100? Hmm. 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 So now I think you want me to call Richard. Harry hired him to build a storage room, and Richard needed the money. Maybe he can fix it. Tuesday. Dear God, I wish Richard would stop all that noise. Every time another one of those board falls down, I near about jump out of my stockings. But God, you're getting my garage door fixed. Now, if you could make everyone stay home while I drive for the, to, to the bank for the money to pay Richard, I'd really appreciate it. I can't lose my license, what with Harry gone and all. Later, dear God, help. Richard just said he's been thinking about me ever since his Esther died. He's asking to come over here for a second meal, for a decent meal. And he said, has said he hasn't had one since Esther and her kitchen went their separate ways. He just does look pretty thin. On TV yesterday, there was that story about Mother Teresa. Are you sending me a sign? Now, I'm having an idea, and I'll bet it's from you. I'll cook him up something and just send it on home with him. Things have changed. Men expect things of you when you have a date nowadays. I'll fix up some chicken and dumplings. That'll keep till he gets home. Wednesday. Dear God, what will I do now? Richard called up to thank me for that chicken and dumplings. Now he says he loves me. Well, you're welcome, I said. But then he said it again, only louder. He wants to come over here tonight. I don't know what to say. So I answered, well, all right. God, help me out of this. I couldn't say, Richard, I don't love you. So soon after Esther just died, that could hurt his feelings. I wouldn't know what to say to a man wasn't Harry, alone, I mean. You stopped the traffic when I went to the bank yesterday. Now you gotta fix this. I pray that he not, and I repeat not, come over here. Later, Richard called to say that his car won't start. Guess our little date will just have to wait, honey. He actually called me honey, which Harry never did. Anyway, thank you that Richard is not coming over here, and I do hope he gets his car fixed eventually. Speaking of Harry, God, I hope you bless him wherever he is in heaven, 
Be sure to give him something to do. You know he always got so bored. We always had that in common. And don't let him know about Richard. I'd hate to spoil things for Harry, even the slightest little bit. You know, Harry always was the jealous type. Why, I remember. Well, God, you probably remember too, although I bet it doesn't make you blush. So here's my prayer. Keep this pie from tipping over on the floorboard while I get it over to Richard's. I'll, I'll put it on his porch and just ring the bell. Even my mama didn't insist on a chaperone in broad daylight on the street. I don't want Richard to feel bad, God. I just don't want him calling me honey and coming over here. Thursday, dear God, who'd have thought with that rundown shack that Richard could get his car fixed in one day? He said he prayed about it, but I don't believe him. No one could live in that mess and be a praying person. Am I just being judgmental? Maybe his wife did everything and he's just, well, you know, stupid about real life like most men. Even Harry, bless his heart. Here's the reason for this prayer, God. <clears throat> Richard called first thing this morning and he wants to come over today. God, you have got to get me out of this. But don't, I repeat, don't let anything happen to his car again. He cannot afford it. Later, here I am again, God. You have to stop doing things to Richard. I didn't want him to fall off his porch to get hurt. <laughs> Heal that sprained foot as quick as possible because he has got to work. But don't let him come over here. Just don't let anything else bad happen to him. Friday. God, I haven't heard from Richard and here it is noon already. Should I call over there? Yeah. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Mm -hmm. Except I must be honest, at least with you. I don't want him to call me honey. Not only because of Harry, but because yesterday, I remember those dirty old men back in the 50s always calling us young women honey and sweetkins. Burns me up to think about that even now. Why, like I was a child or a loose woman or something. <laughs> Later, God, pastor better not expect me to read this prayer journey, journal out loud on Sunday school because God, <laughs> I cannot do that. Especially not after what happened tonight. I don't know what came over me, God. Pastor says when we put things on paper, we figure them out, sort of like naming our sins. So here goes. When I took that beef stew and that praline cheesecake over to Richard, I only wanted to cheer him up. And when I cleaned up his house, it was just because he was hurting all. And when I overpaid him for fixing my garage door, I was just remembering that it is not easy making your dollars match your hours. I decided it was more important to help out than to have a chaperone. It was like an executive decision. Maybe I should ask you to forgive me, or maybe I should not. I just do not know. All I really wanted to do was to get my garage door fixed. Now I have to hide things from Pastor, because when Richard lifted his chin and yelled cock-a-doodle-doo, as if he was about to get, well, you of all people ought to know. Why, I've plumb had the shivers ever since. But Richard didn't call me honey after I asked him not to. I guess that's an answer to prayer. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Right Now at the Writer's Colony. I'm Chad Gurley, your host, Colony Coordinator at the Writer's Colony at Dairy Hollow. On behalf of our Executive Director, Michelle Hannon, our Chef Extraordinaire, Yana Jones, and our fantastic board members, 
Thank you for listening. This podcast wouldn't be possible without support from listeners like you. So please go to writerscolony.org and donate what you are able and find out more about our residencies and fellowships. Right now we have a fellowship for Illuminating Black Lives, a writer's fellowship. So I do encourage you to check that out. Submissions are being accepted now. Thanks so much and have a great weekend.